Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is C also. I'm Kate Jinx. I'm Brody Lancaster. Jinxie, I was just in an Uber on the way to this recording session and I heard like a fake version of our podcast. No. <laughs> it was like talk back, like drive time, prime time radio. And a guy just called up and the hosts were like, so what TV shows are you looking forward to watching over summer? <laughs> And the guy who called in was like, oh, well, Yellowstone, and then there's this show on Stan that sounds good. And I was sitting in the back of the Uber, putting on my lipstick, looking at my new haircut in my little compact mirror, and I was like, is this a podcast? <laughs> well, your new hair looks great, by the way, BL. <laughs> but Thanks, I was fishing. <laughs> do you, are you actually saying that that's what we are trying to do here with C also? <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> so I was just like, is this where people who don't listen to any podcasts, including our own, um, get their hot tips on TV shows from like whoever's calling into like Jason Lauren in the Arvo or whatever? Oh, yeah. God, I mean, for years and years and years and years, I used to do the like ABC Sydney. Um, I actually think he was live with Richard Glover, the critics. And you'd go on and maybe you've done it too, where you go mm. on and like talk about two films or two TV shows and like you go around in a little circle mm-hmm. and uh, and he would always introduce it with like, and here they come, the critics are in the room. 
very cute. But I think that's genuinely, yeah, how people are kind of finding out Yeah. what they're, I don't know. Maybe I got to take um, 5 p.m. Ubers more often. I'll hear about some sick new shows like Yellowstone. Have you heard of Mad Men? I actually haven't. Should I check it out <laughs> over summer? Is it a hot summer show? I think it's a hot summer show. Exactly. You might have some problems with the, uh, the sexism. That's <laughs> as long as there are disclaimers before every episode. So I know it's set in the 60s. It's then set in the be, 60s. Then so. it'll all be okay. Yeah, you'll be fine. You'll be able to deal with it. But BL, I haven't spoken to you in a couple of weeks now. I've been away. I've been waiting to hear the goss with you. I've been trying really hard not to pry. Can you give it to me now? What is happening? What's going on in BL's life? Uh, Let's go back in time to two weeks ago, but also 2006, because I went to see Interpol and Block Party (laughs) on their their co-headline tour and... In very mid-30s fashion, I left before Block Party started, which I was very sad about, actually, because of those two bands, I have much more of a connection and affinity for Block Party than I do Interpol. But they're doing this dual headline tour where they flip-flop and one's a headliner one night and the other's a headliner the next night. I just happened to get the Interpol opening set. Sans Carlos D has herpes.com. <laughs> um, listen back to our episode on Meet Me in the Bathroom for that. Uh, see also. Um, but yeah, and then I was like, I'm cold and like I had a sore throat and it was really smoky and I had a cough. And so I was like, I'm going home. I hope block party's fun. Can I ask what was the vibe of the audience there? Was it full like indie sleaze regalia? Was it like, did you swoop your little fringe over? Did you do any of that stuff? Or was it like young, the young, the youth? No, the vibe was people in their mid to late 30s slash early 40s remembering what the mid 2000s were like. I literally, we walked in and walked up to the bar, which at Sydney My Music Bowl, the bar at the top of a hill is just torture. But um, as I got closer to ordering my vodka Red Bull, um, I heard a girl go, oh no, but I had a nap before I came, so it's fine. And I was like, that's all of us tonight. Like there were so many, I popped a strepsil at one point and someone was like, oh, are you having a pinger? <laughs> it was just, it was all very like, haha, we're older than we were the last time we liked this music. And I was like, guys, we got to do, we got to do better than this. We got to be cooler. Let's be cooler. Have Interpol changed their look up a little bit or are they still no, looking full SS? No, 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 no. Very SS, very mm. stompy. Um, yeah, yeah. And apparently Block Party haven't either. Um, Sinead gave me a full rundown uh later that night after i'd left and she was like they all still wear skinny jeans and i was like yikes uh okay bl this is not going to work for people who don't have the visuals of the two of us looking at each other but look (laughs) i'm still this is what i still use to listen to music in the full interpol days describe what it is it is an iPod classic. It was like a really was it cost a lot of money at the time. And it's still got like oh, it's it's got like my actual email address on it and my phone number. Oh, it's a 120 gig iPod classic. Thank you very much. I'm I'm rustling around behind me because I'm trying to find mine to show you. Cause a few years ago I was like, I wanna be able to listen to music without being on screen time. 
And so I bought um, the iPod classic off a girl I went to high school with. <laughs> the the time that I was obsessed with my iPod classic. I had an iPod photo, actually. Um, and... Yeah, it felt very, um, very like universally right to to buy it off someone who was in my world in high school in Bundaberg when I was listing like the names of every band I'd ever listened to on my like MySpace interests page. And so can you actually plug it in and put your own music on or are you stuck with this chicks? Oh no! It's it was it was a factory reset. Oh, okay. And I got it. Um, but I, 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 I couldn't add music to this. I, there's no way. Oh my god! You've been to another country, and we're talking about our iPods. <laughs> I haven't even started yeah. talking about my um. What was the little one? A shuffle. I had that. I had a, a mini disc player too. I had them all. Um. But anyway, look. Yes, I have been overseas. But some things that happened before I went away. Uh, mm. I went and saw the new uh, Christmas Hanukkah spectacular at MTC called A Very Jewish Christmas Carol, and it was 100% just what I needed. It is super joyful, and I highly recommend it. You're going to need to take me like three to four steps back because this is the first I'm hearing of this Christmaka show. It's like a... Jewish adaptation of the Charles Dickens classic, okay. Christmas Carol, okay. and uh, made famous by the Muppets, made famous by the Muppets, exactly, and by Bill Murray, and yeah, it's essentially like the lives of like three generations of women in this one uh, family, and one of them is visited by, you know, three spirits uh, and the spirits all kind of relate to Jewish mythology instead of just like past, present, future. It's really, right. and there's singing and it's it's just so, it's really nice. <laughs> this is a real festive recommendation from you. And really, well, you can go and see, I think like, is it Anthony LaPaglia? Who's in it? David Wenham in like a Christmas Carol that's on it, like the like the straight version in. Uh... I thought you were going to say Anthony LaPaglia was in this, and I was like, I'm going tomorrow. No, he was in Death of a Salesman, wasn't he? No, I think David yeah. Wenham is in a Christmas Carol, and that is All currently right. also playing in Melbourne. But good, David Wenham, aka, AKA Austin Butler's daddy. Daddy. Elvis 2022. Oh, my God. Speaking of, I finally saw Priscilla. And, of course, we're not going to talk about it yet because you haven't seen it yet. And But, my God, I cannot wait to talk about it with you, VL. I just, I just realized I'm seeing it a few hours before we record next week's episode of the podcast. And, Jinxie, I have been lordy pilled already. Oh, I'm before- well aware. <laughs> The texts I've been sending before before I have even seen a second of Priscilla, I'm like, Priscilla, <laughs> he's so big. <laughs> he's mo- so he's so <laughs> enormous. He's really enormous. There's a moment in it. This is not a spoiler because they Priscilla and Elvis get married. If you haven't heard, but <laughs> there's a moment and he leans in and says like. My wife. And it's like <laughs> Memphis Borat. <laughs> Memphis Borat. <laughs> anyway. How's my, how's my girl? How's my girl? 
<laughs> but yeah, look, we'll talk about it because I don't want to. It's, it's so good, and I cannot wait to hear you squealing over a lordy nonstop because that's There's what it be will enough be. Enough of it in this episode. <laughs> sure, will be. But okay, actually, let's just. I'll save. I'll save my Priscilla stuff. My Scylla stuff till the Scylla. end. I okay. also saw all of the strangers, which you saw, which we're going to talk about mm-hmm. in an upcoming. Yep. Mm-hmm. Have you seen anything else? So yeah, I saw all of the strangers at the queer film festival. Um, I saw Royal Hotel, the new Kitty Green movie, which I know you saw in Sydney at South by. Um, not going to say too much, but I did not love, did not love, would rather just watch The Assistant. And that's a troubling movie to watch. Um, saw Saltburn, which we'll talk about later, um, as in in this episode. And I went and saw Dicks, the musical. Um, the Josh Sharp, Aaron Jackson featuring Megan the Stallion, Nathan Lane, Megan Mullally, Bowen Yang. Fever dream? <laughs> Was it any? Uh, I, I have avoided um, it thus far. Yeah. Look, I think, I think the joke is it's a very short feature film, <laughs> but the joke still <laughs> runs a little too long. Um, and there's just, this is a psycho thing to say, but there's too much Nathan Lane and Megan Mullally. Oh no, that's not, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I did see the, uh, rebooted or whatever, like the newer version of Will and Grace. And I was like, Mm -hmm. we're done here. Yeah. And the, like the premise is that Josh Up and Aaron Jackson, who are two like UCB comics who don't look anything alike, and as the title, as the opening title card says, they are, it says the, the two leads in this film are straight men played by LGBTQIA plus gay guys, which is very brave. <laughs> like they go to great pains to remind you that like gay men playing straight is a very brave act, which is really funny. Um, and they essentially try to parent trap their parents, Nathan Lane and Megan Mullally. Um and look, it's called Dicks the Musical, but the singing started to get... It got to a point where I was like, grab it up. I want to get to some more jokes because the songs were quite earnest mm. and there were a lot of them and they were like proper length songs. Um, anyway, I thought it was really fun and it was fun to go to Lido and have like frozen margaritas with penis straws, which is what they served for the previous screening. Um, yeah, but that's... I've seen enough. I've seen enough dicks. <laughs> okay, you've seen enough dicks, and I'm feeling like I've seen enough Real Housewives of Sydney. Oh, oh, baby, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm. It's losing me so like faster than any other Housewives ever mm-hmm. has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like actually no, the first Sydney <laughs> incarnation lost me quicker. I'd never got about through the, that first season. About the same period, about the same moment, like five ish episodes into the season, it's like. Oh, there's nothing else here. No. And like they went to Tokyo this last episode and not even Uh a trip to Tokyo can help them. Like I don't understand how that works. I know. Like when half the housewives go to like a sake tasting and like the ballsiest, brashest one leaves crying before she's even like had any sake. It's like, come on. No, absolutely not. And We could have done this at Amaro. (laughs) Kate is such a dead weight. Kate. The whole season has become about Kate. It's bizarre. 
It's never a less appealing person. Yeah, she's really just not good uh, content for this. Like, she's not good talent for the Housewives. Mm-mm. Apparently, she's like a huge Housewives fan. She's watched like every episode oh. of every season, and maybe oh. that's made her like extra self-conscious or something like that. Like, maybe it's paralyzed her somewhat on the show, or she thinks that she's able to game the system but it's like you actually can't like it's a very surface level show like you can choose obviously what you want to show but you will be edited in some way you cannot Mm. control the edit so yeah I don't know she's so um she's very mean it's very holier than thou too and it's that that idea of like I want you to be the person that I think you should have been, Victoria. And it's like, as Chrissy Marsh said, who the fuck are you, though? Like, mm. who who are you to be on such a pedestal? I just find her, like, so, like, nothing to watch. Um, God, that's really cruel and awful to say out loud. But, like, I there's never been a less appealing television character in my view. Yeah, she's actually really... Yeah, I, I'm 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 feeling similarly, but I I'm still enjoying T Biv and I Tessa. A friend of mine also texted me the other day and said that he and another friend used to call women who wore her shoes Biv pigs. Oh I didn't know Tezza had shoes. Yeah, T Biv, she made shoes. Is that her whole thing? She's like the Tony Bianco but a woman. I'm pretty sure. Do we have to? No, I believe you. This is Sydney culture. It's a Sydney culture. I don't want to fact check it. That's going in the episode, whether she did or not. Biv pigs. Uh, But I I am really enjoying Caroline. And I think that Caroline actually, if she was with a different group of women, she could actually be like epic housewife. Caroline is the cream rising to the top of this crew. She's smart. She has an odd background. She's from the Gold Coast. She's got, like, a gay best friend. Her She has a ex- very kind of eccentric, individualistic style. She's funny. She's super camp. Like, mm. this ding, 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 ding. And she's got, like, a traumatic storyline currently <laughs> just to top it all off. I loved that she is the one who has the connection to Japan and Tokyo but she got they, she got them all wrapped in kimonos and she was like, oh, her just heaving tits were like too much for the kimono. Yeah, I enjoyed that <laughs> All too. of them sweating while watching like a very slow meditative ceremonial, like a tea ceremony and all of them being like, fucking hurry up, pour the tea. Because <laughs> it was so hot. Yeah, I did enjoy that. That was actually quite good. But that was still, good. still too too, much. too um, much. Did you see Victoria is appearing or playing at Puffdorf in Sydney? <laughs> what? Yeah, Victoria from the Housewives, the one who buys and sells furs, uh, is at a gay party this weekend. Oh, she's. I really, really dislike that one. I don't. Not as and much I, as Kate. Not as much yeah. as Kate. But anyway, Kate unfortunately never iconic. <laughs> Never iconic. Um, last night, Jinxie. Oh my god, this should have been goss at the top of the show instead of telling you about talkback radio. Um, I saw Tracy Emin in conversation this week. The legend, the fucking legend, the icon, the queen. 
truly all three and more she, like like I, I call everything iconic, I'm aware, but, like, Tracy fucking Emin, um, she did, like, an hour-long in conversation at the Capitol in Melbourne because her work, I think it's, like, six of her works are part of the NGB Triennial, which is opening this weekend, including, like, a five-metre um, love poem for CF, one of her, like, text-based neons, um, and some, like, paintings and a few bronze sculptures. And so she came to speak last night and... Truly, like, it was hosted by Patricia Carvelis, who had both the hardest and easiest job in the world because, like, you just say one thing and Tracy talks and everything she says is fucking incredible, especially in light of, like, her very intense last few years. Like, obviously, Tracy Emin, like, icon of the 90s, my bed, the tent, like, like her confessional kind of installation self-portraiture works – um, but she, in 2020, like had this really intense experience when she was diagnosed with bladder cancer during, um, lockdown and she was just sitting there on stage last night and she was like, you know, of all the cancers, bladder cancer is quite a good one to get. Cause they can just go in with a little hook and like pull the cancer out unless you have the kind I had and then sits there and describes having her, not just her bladder, but having a full hysterectomy, half her vagina removed, her urinary tract, like this radical cystectomy and she did all this it was so moving hearing her talk about it so plain spoken not emotive at all just very frank and very tracy um talking about like the idea of legacy like patricia carvelis asked her about how she feels about having a legacy and she said oh well it's so boring to say but when i thought i was going to die and then she just starts telling this story about like establishing the Tracy Emin Foundation and putting her will together the night before she went into hospital and, um, you know, truly, truly not expecting to see the fruits of this work. And now, three years later, being alive to see it and like the Tracy Emin Foundation got its like charitable status like a month ago she said she's got these like properties in um the uk that host artist residencies and she's just fucking doing it and and to hear someone talk about like you know planting the seeds for the future and then just like being alive to watch them like bloom is like incredibly moving i wish i'd been able to go to that um she's so special i went and saw her do a poetry reading in like a private home in mm. Wallara in in Sydney in like maybe it was Vaucluse in like 2010 maybe or 2011 mm-hmm. and it was for this very small poetry group um, that I wasn't a part of who knows how I got in there was not like many of us there like maybe 20 of us in this living room wow. and she came down the stairs and she was quite inebriated I will say and I remember she had this like intense tan like like she had just emerged from a sunbed like that kind of like intense tan and she was just kind of like slipping on and off the chair like she was standing on top of this like beautifully upholstered (laughs) chair to read her poetry uh it was Bizarre and amazing and, as you would say, iconic. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was really special. Mm. But my other favourite – I've got two other favourite Tracy Ammon things. Mm -hmm. One is this film she made called Top Spot, um, which 
came out in like, I don't know, 2004 or early 2000s, I think. And it was about this like group of teenage girls um, in Margate, where she's from. Mm. Um, and it's kind That's of where the residencies are. Yeah. And it's yeah. kind of hard to see, but um, Le Cinema Club actually had it online a couple of months ago and I rewatched it there and it was really special. But the other thing is, do you remember when a contestant on Great British Bake Off, like many years ago, like first iterations we're talking, they had to do a bread challenge and <laughs> this woman did my bed. She did Tracy Emmons Fuck. bed artwork with bread. I remember. I remember. My bread. My bread. All right. Speaking of breads you slept in a really beautiful one in india jinxy you went back to your favorite your favorite place yeah i did i just got back from india i went last year to goa for work and i was extremely lucky and got to go back again this year for the film bazaar which is like a week-long film market essentially where you kind of meet indian filmmakers producers etc and talk about they're what they're working on and etc. Blah blah blah. It's great. Like you see lots of films, have lots of meetings, um, eat lots of really great food. Uh, while I was in Goa, I had a massage though that I, while it was happening, I was like, I've got to tell BL about this massage. Oh my god! Remember a few like a couple of months ago, I had that really oily massage. Oh, I remember a little piggy slipping around Abbotsford Convent. That was me again. <laughs> so <laughs> it was. Wait, were you in your hotel or did you have to navigate your way somewhere covered in oil? Thankfully, I was in like the spa in the hotel, but it was just so like more slippery than the last BL. <laughs> and I felt like Helena Marcos at the like Tilda's Helena Marcos at the end of um <laughs> Luca Guadagnino Suspiria, if you've listened to our latest poodle. Maybe this is what Tracy Emin had just had done when she was slipping off her seat. Maybe. That's probably it, actually. It would explain the um, tan as well. But, yeah, I expected, like, another arm to just pop out of me or something. It was that kind of um, bubbly, I would say. Um, but the, mas oh. the masseuse also just, like, fully went for the boobs. And I have not had that before um and like not in like a purely a fine okay way but they just I had just yeah professional professional massage but yeah I just was not used to it it was quite interesting um and afterwards uh I was put into like a steam room that they had fully oiled up. Like I couldn't, like I could barely walk in there, you know. <laughs> I'm so picturing oily. like a, a sauna and they sit you at one end and you just slip to the other end. <laughs> that was pretty much it, BL. And so I got into this like sauna, like this steam room, like fully tiled steam room. And so like I was just like slipping off the seat. And at one point I was just like, it's been about five minutes. I'm so, it's, I'm so hot. Like I'm, I'm just, I must be bright red. And I went and like fully nude, I have to add. And I went up to the like That was door my next that question. I, that I could barely see out of because it was just like full condensation. And I went to like open the door and you had to like open the door, like pushing outside 
And the woman who was like running it, she was standing right behind it and she slammed it shut <laughs> and then held up her hand to like indicate five more minutes. <gasps> no, I would, <laughs> my brain would go, you're going to die in here. <laughs> well, I was kind of thinking that. And I was just like, I don't know what these essential oils are doing to my brain. But yeah, I just had to sit there and wait until she opened the door because <gasps> I was just like, I can't, I don't, yeah, I'm just going to have oh, to. Oh my goodness. What is your sit in here and steam? What steam like a little dumpling? Wow! What is your move after that? Like, do you put on a gown, go straight to your room, and have like a tub, or like what? what do you put cl- what? What clothes are you putting on when you're like slick? Well, yeah, I mean, I couldn't put my own clothes back on because they would have all been ruined. No, yeah, you, you after the steam room, then you're kind of like pushed into this very small little shower, and then okay. you use like every ounce of soap they have to get the oil off you. <laughs> it was very funny. The whole time I was just like, "This is amusing." I would want someone scru- scrubbing me after that. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, no, this was f- you know fun- fend for yourself after that. Um, anyway, it was an amusing massage. Um, I felt I felt great afterwards, but slippy, slippy. Yeah, never been pushed into a steam room before, <laughs> or trapped in there. Um, that's very Final Destination. Um, what else? I stayed at my favorite uh, hotel over there again, and it was just so beautiful. And it was nice to like catch up with the people that I'd met there last year. And shout out to Nia Bay. And um, yeah, this beautiful hotel that I stayed in, and. It, like, it couldn't get any better. I stayed there last year with my sister and I had, like, just the absolute best week of my life with her last year. And I went back solo and I was a bit like, you know when you do something by yourself after you've experienced it with someone else, like friends, family, mm. lover, who have you, what have you, and you're kind of like, I don't know whether this is going to be as good solo and kind of was missing a little spark, I guess, but it was just mm. so beautiful and I had such a lovely time. But anyway, I had dinner while eavesdropping horrendously on the other guests because <laughs> I'm by myself. And um, and then I went back into my little um, villa, which was like in this tower, like a turret room uh, that's like separate to the main building. And you can have your own little balcony up the top. It's very cute on the turret. Oh, my goodness. But, and I was very special. But I was like, someone's been in my room for the turndown service. Fucking delightful. And... I pulled back the covers and there was a hot water bottle in there in like a beautifully embroidered oh little pouch. My God. Does it get any better than that? Like it was just outrageous. Like it was just so sweet and lovely. It's the and- cutest place on earth. It looks like you're, you're sleeping inside. And this is only from photos. I'm dying to go. It looks like you're sleeping inside like a gingerbread cottage. Yeah, it kind of feels like that. It's and like everything is painted to within an inch of its life, so heavily decorated. And then you kind of come home and it's like white walls are <laughs> just not doing it for me, BL. They're just not doing it for me anymore. <laughs> These white walls are closing in. They really are. You remember that last year uh, we have discussed many times that I was um, serenaded? I do, I do, I remember. Well, it didn't happen again, but I think I can kind of one-up that situation in that I received (laughs) many messages from a former Big Brother 
uh, contestant who I will not mention the name, but went viral on Indian Big Brother like a number of years ago and is now kind of using that viral moment of their life to like make films or like web series about them. And anyway, I couldn't meet them for, I couldn't meet up with them. And they told me. Are they me, like India? I wonder if they're like India's Sarah Marie or India's Fitzy or India's um, Merlin, you know? I think more Sarah, Mar- no, Sarah Marie was quite mm. beloved. I don't think this one was. So maybe, mm. I don't know. Definitely not a Merlin. Um, definitely not a Chrissy Swan. No, no. Merlin was like free the refugees, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they did. She did send me a message saying, "If you don't want to meet, you're lost entirely." And I really appreciated that. I thought, mm. okay, that's one way to go about it. We could take some notes from this person. In yeah. Our, um, you know, I, I'm the first to admit I'd, I'm conflict avoidant. I would like to be able to your loss entirely someone at some point and believe it. Yeah, totally. And just leave it at that and then like not follow up and go like, J- I'm just kidding. Actually, what do you think of me? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of me? <laughs> That's the subtext of everything either of us ever says. <laughs> just kidding. What do you think of me? <laughs> See also, what do you think of me? 
I'm I'm getting this wrong, BL. Do you jump in? She won an Oscar for the screenplay for Promising Young Woman. Um, she wrote on Killing Eve, right? And she's acted in a bunch of stuff. So she was in Barbie this year. Um, oh, yes. Margot Robbie produced both of her features, Promising Young Woman and Saltburn. Um, yes, she's a very prolific actor and director. Um, and I think like was very much known in the UK before the rest of the world kind of learned about her with Promising Young Woman, right? Like I feel like mm. one day I woke up and her name was a thing that I had to accept. <laughs> yeah, she was in The Crown too, right, I think? Oh, yeah, she was Camilla in the yeah. Josh O'Connor era of The Crown. Yeah. In the uh, phone call era? No, that was – no, because Josh O'Connor was <laughs> – a little pussy and didn't want to bit do the tampon phone call scenes. Didn't he? Isn't that in the crown? I dropped it, off. It is, but not in the era of Charles and Camilla that Josh O'Connor portrayed. Apparently he was like, no, I won't do the, I want to be your tampon phone call. <laughs> what a little bitch. That's the best thing. Sh- that's the best thing he ever did. I know. Well, then he went on to, uh, Luck Mary, your favorite movie, but, uh, yeah, sure. Okay, fine. That's fine. That's okay, fine. fine. But yes, that's Emerald. That's Ms. M. Um, so she's turned her attention in Saltburn to the upper class, the aristocracy, those uh, who have previously been relegated to costume dramas. She's decided the costumes are going to be sequin dresses and like skins, <laughs> skins cast <laughs> montages uh, in a giant castle. Um, but before we get to the castle called Saltburn, the estate, the property, um, where everyone goes a little mad sometimes. Um, bonkers, just simply bonkers. Everything's so bonkers at Saltburn in the maze. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we uh, meet our protagonist, question mark, Oliver Quick, uh, played by Barry Keoghan, uh, uh, who is like arriving at Oxford, scholarship student, smart kid who's like done all the reading, doesn't seem to like resent rich people so much as kind of have like a curiosity and an interest in being accepted by them. Uh, and the leader of the like hot rich kids is of course my king, <laughs> Melbourne's own Jacob Lordy, um, smooch me Jacob. Anyway, um, who plays Felix takes a, takes a liking to little Oliver, um, and f- you know, like appreciates his kind of like rough story of having a abusive alcoholic mother and a father who dealt drugs and who at one point, um dies and so Felix is like oh you're my friend and uh, you know come and spend the summer at my house at Saltburn and so then the gates open and the doors open and uh where we arrive in the castle where the rest of the film takes place and once we get there I feel like my my interest in this movie uh started to dissolve away yeah, once you reach the little pile of uh, the family, it's. I felt a bit the same. I was like, give me a house tour and I'm out. But mm. I think we should, like, we are going to have to talk a lot about yeah. things that happen in the film. So is it time for the spoiler noise? I think spoiler noise has to come in. So after this little jingle, check the show notes. If you haven't seen Saltburn and you've somehow avoided finding out what happens in that bathtub, for example, um, by being on the internet, 
just check the show notes for the time codes and you can skip to a, a safe place where there will be no more spoilers. Okay, so I went and saw this in Sydney at the like preview premiere thing that was part of South by Southwest. Mm-hmm. And I have wanted to say this to you the whole time, Biel, but it I went with um, my dear friend Samuel and it was like we were surrounded by people who had never seen a film before. And if they hadn't seen a film or if they had seen a film, they definitely had not had sex. Like it was a room full of virgins it was so Jinxie. odd like every so time real. anything anytime anything vaguely sexual happened in this film everyone was just like oh what ah! like yes. losing their freaking minds and there was one point when uh barry keoghan is like humping the grave right and yeah. this guy behind me just yelled out oh mate no Yes, uh, Samuel and I laughed and laughed, but it See, it, uh, it it kind of helped my enjoyment of the film. To be honest, I, I feel you. I feel like the fucking the grave was kind of like the coolest thing his character did because I was like, this this really it really encapsulates to me. So where after the spoiler noise, after Felix dies, he uh, you know it's just like his little family and and Oliver left, and Oliver kind of takes all his clothes off and fucks Felix's grave and I'm kind of like okay this is this character who like didn't know if he like loved or was in love or hated or wanted to be this guy or wanted to like consume him or fuck him like all of the above probably like fucking his grave was kind of like sick um but which way are you saying sick like horns up like yeah fully 360 fully sick um like I thought that was like sick it rocked but the stuff that <laughs> but it but rocked also, BL. but also i totally agree that the the crowds for this movie i don't know what they think they're going to see because you know we're watching him peep in on jacob alordi jerking off in the bathtub and i was like great scene in a movie um and then when he goes to like have a sip of the bathwater and like tongue the drain everyone in the move in the cinema is going Ew, ew. And I was like, girls, we all have to be on board with a little calm in our lives, you know? And in our movies. <laughs> I felt the same. I just really felt like, oh, come on. Like, like come it's, on. <laughs> come on. Not like we've all been there, but like, come on. It was just like not that big a deal. Not and then that like big the- a deal. Like while we're on the menstrual, the while we're on the sex scenes, like the menstrual sex scene mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. people were so freaked out by that in the screening I went to. I was quite shocked by it actually. It was such a puritanical audience. Yeah, but totally. I also like suspension of disbelief with every film, particularly this kind of film. Thanks, EF. But okay, that girl is wearing like mm-hmm. a flowing white dress. She has walked from her room. Mm-hmm. All the way to like the grass outside Barry Keoghan's Oliver Quick's window, right? She's sitting down. This he has sex with her pretty quickly. Doesn't seem to remove anything from her that might be helping her with her women's her things, her things, her moddy bodies. <laughs> yeah, with her troubles. But I was like, that is such a heavy, heavy flow. 
Yeah, she's on day two of her period when he's eating her out. Yeah, what is stopping the dam? What is like (laughs) finger in the dam there? Like I was just really like this. No, I'm not reading this. Like this doesn't read to me. Totally, I totally agree. Stupid thing to pick up in a film, but I was sitting there going, "Mm, "No, I I'm totally with you because I also think that's you know it's the most literal way that this film is like this guy is like a vampire or a parasite on these people's lives. He's like drinking their blood, consuming them, fucking them. It was borderline too literal, but also of the point that I think this movie is trying to make. I don't think it's really has a point but um i also am like where did this little freak get all this game from like was it that he sipped on jacob Elordi's bathwater and he instantly was like really good with women like spider-man or something because we saw him at this is the thing about this movie by the time it got to the end i was like okay emerald you like came up with your like twists and turns and wacky plot pivots go back to the start and write this character in a consistent way because he, like, arrives at Oxford, dresses bad, like, can't even tell a girl, yeah, Felix will probably be jealous if you hook up with me, to get her to hook up with him. And then all of a sudden, he's, like, in this space where, like, Farley, who hates him, somehow wants to fuck him. Felix, like, he can turn Felix, he can turn the mother, he can turn... Like, the sister's just, like, obsessed, so obsessed with him that she, like, forgets she has an eating disorder. It's bizarre. And I'm, like, like, Barry Keoghan is, like, a beefcake and he has, like, a particular kind of, like, attractiveness to him. He's an interesting looking person. But I'm, like, he's not someone that you're going to fall over yourself and, like, rip a tampon out for, you know? No, but I guess it's that thing that he's just got this kind of other magnetic charisma within him that he is kind of this odd body. He's this, yeah. It's like his kind of uh, killing of a sacred deer character was very much that, mm. that there is some dynamism to him that just appears as kind of mm. off um, mm. when you mm. first encounter him. Mm. I don't know. Like I kind of I didn't mind that. Like I was kind of bored that side of things because it's just such a like Ripley story it's so talented Mr. Ripley and like I understand and like it's also so obviously Brideshead Revisited which we've already talked about and like I know that she mentions Brideshead or whatever and Ripley in the first moments of the film as if to be like yes I understand darling but the thing is, so many critics are taking that as she knows she's she to- is totally aware of it. So actually, it's all okay. And it's like, of course, she knows. Like, of course, she's like winking and has fully considered what she's doing here. But I don't think that that consideration actually adds up to almost anything. Mm. Like, it's and it's not just like plot holes or like the girl had t- too heavy a flow for me. Like, it's just like. There's just nothing going on there and it's not even that – like it was quite a fun watch, I'll give you that. And I wouldn't say avoid it or don't go and see it. I would say Mm -hmm. actually probably go and see this in a cinema because it's a very fun film to watch with a bunch of 
prudes, right? Like it's mm-hmm. actually a good time. It goes for way too long, way, way too long. Way too long. But the people behind me had a great time. They just chatted the entire way through the movie. Oh, I bet. But yeah, I just find that people are kind of sticking up for this in a way of, and it's such a divisive film, but people of course are going to stick up for it. But they are like, oh, you don't understand that she understands. It's like, I understand that she understands. Yeah. And like, I mean, we're not, we're going to talk about this film later on when it's out in Australia, but like a reference, a true reference or like a, a winking kind of nod is something like what Todd Haynes does in May, December with the soundtrack where he has like a reimagined score from another film about like a massive age gap troubling relationship, you know? Um, Whereas this, yeah, just saying like the characters knowing about the Brideshead revisited or talented Mr. Ripley or like treating them as like inspiration or something. It's like when your film is such a, so clearly aping those things and doing it in a less clever way and not doing anything with that like core text like you're just kind of pissing it away like I what's fully the point agree. yeah i fully fully agree with that um i think there I, was a real oh sorry no no you go i think there was a real missed opportunity with saltburn to like truly make a point about class versus wealth because obviously what we learn about Oliver when um Felix Jacob Elordi's character drives him home on his birthday and realizes his father isn't dead his mother isn't an alcoholic living in a hovel they're a perfectly nice friendly middle class family he has siblings he was raised really well he is really supported and encouraged um and Felix clearly feels justifiably very betrayed because he's been lied to and kind of like manipulated um but like where else but England and like the especially the like private boarding schools can you make such a commentary on yes you can have money but not having titles or status or land or generational wealth means shit in these settings like there were there were there were the seeds of such a better film in this and a film that had more to say about class and status and wealth than the one that we ended up with because Mm. it felt like she was truly unable or unwilling or like uninterested in like interrogating what class really means in England and instead just going, Oh, you've got triangle of sadness and like the white Lotus, we've got eat the rich shit too. Um, here's Rosamund Pike and Richie Grant being like cuckoo crazy and really rich. Yeah, totally. And Rosamund Pike is really good, but she's just doing her best Adina Monsoon in this, I will say. <laughs> but yeah, there was this piece um, in Dazed. Uh, I don't know if you've read it, but it was called uh, Saltburn. Can posh people write good class satire? And essentially mm. it kind of goes through the story and her background, etc. And I think that the writer ends up being like not in this case and I think that of course posh people can write good class satire because they deeply understand it and live it and know it and are actually like can make great work about it but this ain't it like this Mm. is not I don't think that Emerald well she hasn't done it in this and I think that she really was trying to do that here Mm. but And I think it's like, I also didn't like Promising Young Woman. So I feel like maybe there's just like a disconnect between me and like her filmmaking Mm. style or something Mm. like that. But I found 
that one kind of troubling because it had like this weird cop agenda, like that the, the mm. police were going to help. I I really, the ending, anyway. That's you didn't p- like when it zoomed in on a sideways winky face text message and that was the final the final word of the film was, don't worry, don't worry about rape revenge chicks. The cops will take care of it. I know, the cops will take care of it, exactly. Um, yeah, I, gosh, yes. So so I think that maybe it's, I think it's like, yeah, maybe I just don't like her work, mm. really. Like, I don't connect with it very much. But there's also been, like, a lot of people interviewing her have been talking about the divisive reviews and reaction from audiences and in one interview with uh, a guy from IndieWire, she said, yeah, of course there are moments where I think, oh, I hope you die. Oh, cool, you didn't like it? Great. I hope you fucking die and your whole family slowly. And reading that, I was like, I kind of, it amused me, I have to say, because it's like, all right, all right, Emerald. But then she said, like, oh, you just profoundly didn't understand what I was trying to do, whatever. You're always going to have to try to not be a pissy little bitch about it, even when you really want to be, especially if you get the sense occasionally that there's a whiff of misogyny. And I thought, I don't, mm. I don't think that, I don't think that anything that I've read about this film, and I'm sure it's out there because it depends on like what rags you're reading, but I don't, I don't think that my take on it is, so I haven't read any misogynist takes on it. Mm. I don't think, but anyway. I, look, this might be a cancelable thing for me to say, but I'm going to say it. I we don't have a cancelable noise yet. We might have to get Harvey Sutherland to make us one. Yeah, the cancelable noise is just my voice. Um, <laughs> I think Emerald Fennel's success over the last few years is because of, like, the opposite of misogyny. It's like this woman's making a movie about rape. It has to be good. This woman is this toffee British woman is making a film about toffee British people. She must know. She must know. So let's give her the funding and the benefit of the doubt. And I think the idea that like she's saying, oh, you just fundamentally didn't understand what I was doing here. I think that comes from people trying to give her the benefit of the doubt and assume that she's doing more than she actually is, that the films are smarter than they actually are and that they have a point of view because ultimately the the thing that this movie is kind of saying is that like this like perfectly fine middle-class kid is like so adoring of a random rich boy. He doesn't know anything about Felix when he kind of sets his sights on him hatches a plan that assumes that this boy will be nice and welcoming and sweet and arrives at his house and then decides that it will be his question mark and then like hangs out with everyone and then when they die and they kick him out he just hangs around for 15 years to like exact the final stage of his plan and like doesn't spare a thought for like the cousin who fucked him and who really hated him from the start and who would be suspicious of him from the jump and is like the person to kill if you're going to kill any member of this family it surely it's the one who's like in the will to begin with and hates you to begin with but like the Farley character just kind of escapes unscathed you know yeah disappears totally just disappears it's yeah totally like it's the longest game ever you know and I I, I don't think 
Yeah, I just I just couldn't buy. But I also want to say I really wanted to like this film. The cast is great. I love a kind of rags to riches kind of uh, British estate film about like a f- posh family who are complete eccentrics who are just hanging out at, over summer. Like, sign me up. Yes, please. The trailer looked fantastic. Unfortunately, the trailer was better than the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time you get to that, like, whole penny drop thing of who Oliver's character is and what he's doing, it was like, who do you think you are, Kaiser Sose? Like, no, this is mm. not – I cannot – I do not buy any mm. of this. Yeah, we're we supposed to give him so much more credit than he than he earned. It's like, dude, you read 50 books over the summer. I don't believe you're, like, a fucking criminal mastermind. Mm-hmm. Also, while we're talking about, like, criminal masterminds or filmmaking masterminds, you hinted at it early on, Jinxie. I just have to say, if you're making a film that is so – get it? It's 2006. You can't have people sitting around a VHS player and watching the movie Superbad, which came out in September 2007. I even checked the UK release date. It was September 2007. This is like fucking basic shit, Emerald. And that's not misogyny. That's just facts, babe. That's just facts. I um, Yes, it's, it is amusing. I mean, maybe she's like, it's all, it all comes out in the wash. I don't know. <laughs> but I did like the scene where they were all sitting around reading Harry Potter, um, listening to MGMT. That was good. That was a good scene. Like that was montage. really good. That was really good. Good montage. I saw a tweet that I really liked that I guess is kind of a see also. It's from a user called Ev- Moore that just says, I love how Emerald Fennel subverts classic tropes. What if the rich were victims and the working class sucked? What if women were the ones who should get punished in a rape revenge movie? What if movies were bad? Yeah, it could be see also. I think the casting was great in this. Like everyone is sort of doing it all in this. Like Mm -hmm. they are chewing scenery. Like Barry Keoghan is like finally given this kind of leading man role. Mm -hmm that he's kind of hinted at for so long, but he always ends up, but he always gets these kind of bizarro characters, you know, like little weirdy sidekicks. Totally. Um, But, and so he is kind of giving it his all Jacob Elordi giving you his all like, I wish, I wish he would. (laughs) I wish he would. And like Carrie Mulligan is the best I've seen her in ages. Like I thought she was really, she turns up and she kind of puts in this great performance. Poor sad Pamela. Yeah, I so they, there was so much in there that is really good, mm. but it just sort of it's not a doesn't uh, like it's not cohesive. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it looks great. The cast is great. The performances are excellent. The costuming, the set design, the music for the most part, all perfect. It's just the the plot and the script that really truly let it down. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Um. I, and we didn't – I don't remember her name, but the sister, the Venetia, who's on her period, I'm just like, again, just a teeny tiny – and this is just me. This isn't an objective truth, but I feel like it was a missed opportunity to not have her be a kind of part of the Alexa Chung scene in that era. Like, have her falling out of clubs with, like, the Geldofs, like – R.I.P. Yeah. Peaches Geldof. Like, that would have been so of that era, of that – the look of that character is so that. Um, you know, being photographed in the tabloids as, like, a socialite heiress with, like, a mysterious bag of white powder dropping out of her <laughs> purse. Like, it would have been so fitting. Um, 
I have a C also just of a kind of like society outcast sneaking his way in and having it all fall apart. Um, it's a tenuous link, but um, I was, I've was i been reading a lot lately about Truman Capote and the swans in the lead up to the new American crime story. Is it crime story? I think so. No, Feud. Feud. The new Feud series, which is Truman Capote and the Swans and like Chloe Seven years in it. Anyway, um, and Esquire has published years ago, a couple of years ago, uh, Le, I can't speak French, Le Cote Basque 1965, which is um, was kind of the preview of what would have been Truman Capote's book where he was going to publish all the secrets of these like high society women that he had kind of ingratiated himself in their worlds for many many years and then when this first taste of what he had been writing came out was published in Esquire they all fucking dumped his little ass and he was like turfed out on the street and a lot of them never spoke to him again like Babe Paley and like all of these women who were like truly his not his meal ticket. He was Truman Capote. He was making a lot of money from his writing, but they were his, they were the people who said this little guy who came from nowhere in the South is, has our blessing to be part of New York high society, which he so wanted to be. Um, so yeah, it was giving me old, old, oldie timey Saltburn vibes. Ye oldie. I mean, he was also very connected with, Getting Patricia Highsmith writers' residencies, etc. So very oh. full circle, BL. Oh my very god, slay, Mary Carol season. <laughs> um, I've got a couple of C also's. One is for uh, there was a great profile of Barry Keoghan that came out um, around the time of Banshees of Inisherin last year, but it was it's worth a revisit. It's called The Wildness of Barry Keoghan, and mm. yeah, it was in GQ. And it kind of provides a lot of context for his work and his style and what he sort of wants out of his career. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting, quite eye-opening, and he speaks very frankly um, about his childhood, etc., which is always great to read. Um, also, if you want more, if you've read Highsmith, you've read Brideshead, I would recommend a book that you're probably going to have to buy used, but I checked this morning. They're all over eBay, etc. It's called The English Eccentrics by Edith Sitwell, and um, it was written in 1933, and it's s- such a good read. I'm mm. going to reread it after after this. All right, welcome back post-spoiler noise. If uh, you haven't seen Saltburn yet, we're back, we're back. Um, you're safe. Before we get into our also-alsos for this episode, just a little reminder that we're hitting the stage. We've got another live show coming up on the 3rd of Feb. Uh, See also Alfresco is at the Malthouse Outdoor Stage. Tell your girlies in Melbourne. Buy a ticket. Um, If you are listening to this episode, you are, you're listening to this episode, you can use the code See also Alfresco, or lowercase or one word, for a discounted ticket price. And you'll be able to see me and Jinxie chatting to our special guests, Courtney Barnett and Stella Mosgawa, uh, over summer at sunset. Love it. It will be so fun. There will be cocktails. There will be spritzes. There will be lots and lots of chats as the sun sets. How gorgeous. It's my birthday weekend. Maybe this is my birthday party. So if you want to come to my birthday party, buy a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's time for our also-alsos where we, you know, love to recommend to you, to each other, 
to ourselves. BL, what's your first one? My first one is a donate also. El Rahman Inc. is uh, an organization providing support to Palestinian families who are arriving specifically in Melbourne from Gaza. Um, It's an Instagram account I just started following and it's very like simple. There's a contact number. There's also a bank account that you can deposit money into. Um, And we'll leave their Instagram details in the show notes as always. And we'll pop them up on our Instagram this week as well. Hey, I've also got to donate also, BL. Oh, perf. Mine is to uh, Medicine Sans Frontiers or MSF uh, for their work in Palestine. Of course, hospitals and health facilities in Gaza are under dire circumstances at the moment and um, MSF are doing what they can. I kind of follow them and they have said a few times that they can't be at their usual level of assistance due to the unpredictability of bombing there. Um, so, but they're, so they are using the money where they can to do their own work, but also handing it off to other hospitals that are still, uh, able to function in Gaza. So the money is getting directly where it needs to go for kind of health assistance. Anyway, you can read about their response to the, uh, Gaza Israel war and you can donate to them there at msf.org and um, you select what country you're from and it takes you through it's very easy it's very quick we'll put that up in our Instagram as well my next one is much less serious and important um, it's a recommendation for the DS and Durga portable Christmas tree scented candle now we're talking I bought one from Mecca a few weeks ago. Look, does it make a perfect gift for someone at Christmas time? Yes. Did I buy it for myself and ask for it to be gift wrapped? Also, yes. Um, I wanted that Kayleen whiskey wrapping paper, you know? Um, okay, the the scent notes on this, I'm going to say they're very tree-y, but it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't smell like a tree in your house, okay? The top notes are dwarf pine and Douglas fir which also is the name of the band who supported Avril Lavigne and my first ever concert in 2003. Dwarf Pine or Douglas Fir? Douglas Fir. Um, Douglas Fir are the trees in Twin Peaks The oh. Agent Dale Cooper always talks about. Well, they're important for many of us. Um, there are spice notes. There are spruce notes. There's Austrian pine and amber. But as I said, don't worry. It doesn't sound like you've lit a Christmas tree on fire in your living room. It smells really like warming and savory and like cozy. I love it. I You say that it doesn't smell like a tree. Like that's a good thing. But I love any kind of Christmas scent. Like the more, the more jovial, the better. <laughs> Piney. <laughs> yeah. I mean, without being pine or clean. Sure. Anyway, I cannot wait. <laughs> you would drink Santa's bathwater. <laughs> I, maybe Mrs. Claus's, but anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> My next one is also much less serious. It is to go and see a band that I really love. They're called Sylvie. I've mentioned them on the pod before. They're from LA. Uh, they are touring across the East Coast in December. Well, at least Ben Schwab uh, from Sylvie is. Uh, they are kicking off. He is kicking off. the. I don't know how many of them are coming over. Okay. Don't at me. I'm going along. I'll report back. Anyway, they're kicking off their shows in Brisbane on the 3rd of December. And then they're doing all these Northern rivers, uh, venues, Mm. which I think is very cool and sweet. And they're doing Sydney and Melbourne as well. Melbourne is on the 12th of December at the curtain. And, um, Steph Hughes did the poster. 
little Love. bonus shout out yeah. uh my last one is a fave local melbourne fashion brand e nolan uh designed by the iconic emily nolan who is formerly of p johnson taylor's started her own brand that like specializes in kind of suiting and shirting uh using like classic savile row tailoring methods but for women and gender non-conforming people's bodies um she's got an atelier in fitzroy you can make an appointment and go and see her or shop the like ready-made stuff on her website um she's also an iconic tiger supporter um which you know just endears me to anyone um i recently went to like a little pop-up shop that she was doing and i got the oversized shirt in the triple blue stripe the fabric is like this really buttery cotton poplin that i have found i don't need to iron and emily's whole kind of uh philosophy around getting dressed and like wearing tailored pieces is that she wants to look thrown together not put together um which really really appeals to me well bl i also have an e nolan on your recommendation which you gave to me off pod i also got the oversized shirt in i think uh, i can't remember what kind of a stripe it's just like the basic bold blue and white stripe I'm so glad because I know, Jinxie, you are always on the hunt for a blue and white stripe. Yeah, I still am after the particular girlfriend's striped shirt. I'm never going to get it. It's my white whale of shirts. I have too many striped shirts, but I will keep I will keep buying them. It's fine. It, I've made ne- peace with it. Nevertheless, she persisted. <laughs> <laughs> she will buy her own striped shirt today. Um, my last one is also... Uh, of the wardrobe variety BL. Mm-hmm. It's for an online secondhand store called Art Garments, uh, Art Garments Vintage. It's by a woman who sources all these clothes from all around the world. Her name is Grace. I think she has had shops or boutiques and sold online for many, many years, many, many, many years. And as someone who worked in vintage for some time, I respect the struggle of staying in there and she sources just like really really beautiful pieces and she will often she drops them well she does like drops she does like a season every couple of weeks and so she recently sourced from like Spain and Italy and so she did a a drop just for those clothes and then she did like a silk drop she did like a ballet core drop like earlier this year anyway they're really beautiful pieces she sometimes has sales and if you like me are trying to buy less new clothing, unless they're an E. Nolan striped shirt because they're perfect, I would go to artgarments.com.au. I want to give one teeny little plug for an event I'm doing next weekend. Uh, I'm going to be in conversation with Caroline Polacek uh, in the afternoon of Sunday, the 10th of December. So if you're in Melbourne and you're a Caroline fan or you just want to see me kind of fumble my, fumble my way through interviewing an, a hot, cool icon, um, come along. It's at the Capitol Theatre and you can get tickets uh, via Always Live. I'll put the link in the show notes and it would be really nice to have some listeners in the audience. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of See Also. We've got some news next week that you'll be wanting to uh, listen in on. So make sure you're following us at See Also Podcast on Instagram. That's the best way to kind of 
get all the news that you are not hearing. That's right. And thank you as always to Harvey Sutherland for our theme music, Samuel Hodge for our artwork, and you for listening. Bye. See ya. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.